Hey, take your Bibles now and turn to Romans chapter six, okay? Romans chapter six. Or I allow you to fire up your smartphone right now and uh, you know, go to your Bible app, get to Romans six, and um, that's where we're gonna be. If you don't have a Bible, all of the verses will come up on the jumbotrons. They'll be inside your program. And if you don't have a Bible, and we understand that in the generation that we're living in now, lots of people don't have Bibles. This might be your first time in church. Uh, all you have to do is go into the altar room when we're finished, go into the altar room over in the venue, or come down here uh, tomorrow, Monday, to our church office, and we'd love to put a Bible in your hands. We'd love to give you a Bible. We literally give away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, Bibles uh, to people. We want you to have the Word of God uh, so you can read it on, on your own. Now, if you're visiting with us, one of the things that we do here at Big Valley Grace is uh, it's a big church, got Saturday night, this place is filled up, and got people here over in the venue. Next hour, this place is jammed up. We got people in the, the venue. We have our online audience of just, you know, thousands of people. And one of the things that we do is, is we, we pluck somebody out of the audience, basically, and say, hey, look, we're gonna do a little video of your life want to get a little vignette of how the Lord has been uh, working in your life. That way we kind of get to know uh, somebody in our church family a little better. So check out this week's Not Ashamed video. From the time I could talk, I've been a singer and an actress. It all started when I had a solo in a preschool play and my passion grew from there. I call this stage my happy place. I performed in church and school and community theaters growing up in Bakersfield. In Fresno, where I went to college, I did um, shows at Fresno Pacific University and I was heavily involved in a musical theater company there as well. And I was so very excited to finally get cast in a show um, in Modesto. It was The Grapes of Wrath and we got to perform at the Gallo Center and the director liked me so much that he asked me to return for a show just a couple months later. One night during a rehearsal, we were having a discussion. I do remember it was lighthearted and um, a comment I made was, I don't think my employers would appreciate it very much if I did that. And the director said, why, who do you work for? And I said, well, I work at my church, Big Valley Grace. And he looked at me and he said, wow, I never would have guessed. I said, what? And I must have looked like I got punched in the gut. I certainly felt that way because he followed up with, well, it's not a bad thing. I mean, I don't think you're a heathen or anything. I sat there for a second and I said, you know, if you can't, tell if you had no idea that I was a Christian and that Jesus Christ is my Savior, then it is a big deal. It's a problem. I apologized to my entire cast and I realized that my entire life had been spent with Christians. I grew up in a Christian home. I went to a private Christian school and I had never had to really talk about my faith, it was always basically assumed and it was certainly never challenged in any of those places. 
And while I never felt ashamed of my faith necessarily, I obviously wasn't wearing it loudly and proudly. So since then, I've tried to make more of an effort to be vocal about my faith and make sure that um, the people that know me in theater and that, that know me outside of work and outside of church know that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I never again want someone to say to me that they had no idea that I was a follower of Jesus. My name is Megan Cardenas, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Hey, Vince, you guys are just crazy, crazy good at what you guys do. These are just all so good, and they're all so different. And as I uh, saw that this week, it was sent to me, I, I get them a little bit early. I thought to myself, you know, that, that, that's a story that we all need to be very cognitive of. You see, it's possible that we can go about our lives and, you know, in our neighborhoods and in the foursomes that we play golf with or the people we do life with and you know, we, we just live a good life, but people don't know what we believe. They don't know who we follow. They don't know who our master is. And if you don't tell them, then they just don't know. They, they just might think that you're a good person, you know, you're a, you know, an Eagle Scout or, you know, or whatever. And it's important for us to realize we can interface with people and they don't know anything about us. And part of not being ashamed of the gospel is not being afraid to have a, a conversation with those that we're doing life with about what we believe in so that they know, they, they, they know what we believe in. And I just thought that was a, just a, a great video. Okay, so last week I, I shared with you the three great phases of your salvation which is justification, sanctification, and glorification. And one of the things I want to make sure of here at Big Valley Grace is those of you that call this your home church, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Christian, at the very moment you received Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior, at that very moment, everything changed. God no longer sees you as a sinner deserving judgment and hell, but rather he sees you just as if you'd never sinned. This is called justification. And because of this, because God sees you just as if you'd never sinned, you don't have to fear death anymore. You have the same life that Jesus had. You have eternal life. John said this in 1 John chapter Five, he said, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life, this eternal life, is in his son. It's in Jesus. He who has the son, he who has given their life over to the son, he who has humbled themselves and invited Jesus to be the savior of their soul. Those that have humbled themselves before God and said, God, I understand who you are and I understand who I am. You're the king and I'm but your subject. 
those who have genuinely given their life over to Christ, they have the life. They, they've been justified. God sees them as if they'd never sinned. He who does not have the Son of God, he who has rejected the Son, they don't have a life. And it's because God still sees their sin. They're still in their sin. Now, sanctification is way different. Sanctification is all about the here and now. Yes, when you gave your life to Jesus, at that very moment, you were justified. God sees you just as if you'd never sinned. But we still have to deal with our, our flesh down here on planet Earth. We, we still have to deal with our, our sinful nature while, while we're alive down here on, on planet Earth. You see, God wants us to live differently now that we've surrendered our lives over to, over to Christ. Now that we've been justified. Yes, the first phase is justification. It's a one-time act. When you receive Christ, done, justification happens. Sanctification now is a process. Now that you know Christ as your Savior, God wants us all to live differently. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, he says, for God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. Yes, at the moment you receive Christ as your savior, God sees you as if you'd never sinned, but that's not the end of it. God wants you to become like his son. God wants you to live a holy life. God wants you to live a sanctified life. Life, which means you got to overcome the power of sin in your life. Because if you don't overcome the power of sin in your life, you're never going to live like Jesus lived, right? And the good news is, is that the moment you received Christ into your life, boom, he imparted the Holy Spirit into, into your life. And the Holy Spirit is what gives you the power to live a holy life or a sanctified life, or it's what gives you the power to become more and more and more transformed into the image of his son. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter five. He said, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, therefore, live differently. Live differently than you used to live. L live a sanctified life. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Beloved, before you gave your life to Jesus, you couldn't do anything for God's glory because you didn't even know God. You didn't even believe in God. You were dead in your sins, but now that you've been justified, it's time to live differently. It's time to live holy. It's time to live 
for the glory of God. If you truly understand what happened in Genesis chapter three, when Adam sinned and how it messed up your life, how it goofed up your life, how you were doomed for hell because of sin and that you couldn't fix the problem of sin, but God so loved you that he sent his son to deal with the problem of sin. If you truly understand that, then it's a no brainer that you would say, wow, I now wanna make sure that whether I eat or whether I drink or whether I'm at work or whether I'm on the golf course or whatever it is I do with my life, somehow I just wanna bring honor and glory to the king. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter four. He said, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Live a life worthy of the justification that has happened in your life. Now that God sees you just as if you'd never sin, would you live like it? In other words, is what Paul is saying here. Here's the deal. You either live a life that honors God or you live a life that dishonors God. I think if you looked up the word, you know, pragmatist in the, in the dictionary, you'd, you'd see a picture of me. Nobody's more pragmatic than I am. I just, I just wanna make it super easy. I want you to think about that. You either live a life that honors God or you live a life that dishonors God. And I just kinda want you to dwell on this for a moment. I want you to think back, maybe you've known the Lord a week, maybe a month, maybe a year, maybe a decade, maybe multiple decades. What's been the pattern of your life? Has the pattern of your life been, you know, I, I've lived a life that honored God. Oh, we, no one's gonna do it perfectly. Or has the pattern of your life been, you know, frankly, I, I've lived a life that's just dishonored him. Let me bore down on this thought a little bit more. God is dishonored when anyone lives in a sinful way. Anybody. But God is especially dishonored when his own children live in a sinful way. You see, some of you are here, you're watching online, you're over in the venue, and, and you don't believe in God. You, you, don't, you don't understand this great truth that you were made in the very image of God. You don't even know that. And when you sin, it still dishonors him. But Christian, it especially dishonors God when his own children live in a sinful way. Hey, it's one thing for, you know, moms and dads, for your children to do dumb, crummy, sinful things. It's a whole nother thing when it's my own kids who do it. So how can you live a life that honors God? Well, if you dishonor God when you sin, 
when you live in disobedience to his word, then it makes sense that you honor him or you glorify him when you live a faithful life or you live a life of obedience to the word. Doesn't it? John said this in 1 John chapter five, this is love for God to obey his commands. That's what it says. That's what the word of God says. That love for God is when you obey his commands. And here's the deal, the only way that you and I can live a life that honors God or live a sanctified life is by tapping into the power of God within us. Now, glorification is the final phase of your salvation. This is the, the freedom from the very presence of sin. One, one day, you and I are gonna be in heaven and when we get there, we won't have to deal with sin anymore. So you got sanctification, this one-time act, boom, God sees me as if I've never sinned. While we're on planet Earth, you have sanctification, the process by which we live a holy life, the process by which we uh, become more and more like Jesus. And then someday we finish the, you know, cross the finish line, Wow! I'm in heaven, Wow! done. Don't have to deal with sin anymore. Most believers get this. They get justification, may not understand the word, but man, I gave my life to Christ. My sins have been washed away, and we get this one. Someday I'm going to heaven. Praise the Lord. It's sanctification that Christians just kind of goof around with. We stumble around with, we bumble around with it because we don't fully understand it. And that's where we're at in our study of the, in the book of Romans. We're in this middle section called sanctification. Paul begins Romans in the first three chapters talking about sin, the problem we all have. And then he moves to the second great section of Romans, the solution to the problem, which is Jesus, the gospel. And now in Romans six, he begins the third section, and that is this. How should we live now that we've been saved? Now what? And that's what we began to look at last week. So that kind of gets us all caught up. So look at Romans 6, look at verse 1. Paul begins by asking a, a question, a seemingly silly question. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Now, why does Paul ask this question? I mean, it does seem a little bit crazy. Shall we go on sinning? Well, Paul's not a stupid man. He's not a crazy man, and he's certainly not a silly man. So to understand the question, we have to go back to chapter 5 and verse 20 to understand what he's, what he's doing here. 
In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 says, God's law was given so that all people would see how sinful they were. The reason why Charlton Heston walks down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments <laughs> was that we would understand just how sinful we were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. Here's what Paul's doing in this verse. He's simply explaining to us the role of the law or the role of the Ten Commandments as it relates to salvation. Paul says God's law, the Ten Commandments, was given so that people could see how sinful they were. In other words, God didn't give the law to save people. He gave the law to let us know that we were all sinners. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, to lead us to the Savior or to the Messiah, that we might be justified, made right by our faith. Beloved, our sin had separated us from God. Our sin had messed everything up. And God, in his great love for us, gave us the Ten Commandments so that we'd see just how messed up we were. The law was simply the tool that God used to show us that we were all sinners. God didn't give us the law to save us. It couldn't save us. Now, once you recognize that you're a sinner, thanks to the law, that leads you to look for a, a, a savior, Jesus Christ. You see, here's the deal. Those 10 great commandments, when, when God had Moses give them to the people, you shall have no other God before me. Don't make for yourself an idol. Don't misuse my name, it's holy. Remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Set aside a, a, a day for me. Honor your mom and dad. Don't murder anybody. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie, don't envy. People could look at those 10 commandments and go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. I, I violated one of them, or two of them, or three of them. And those 10 commandments, by the way, can kind of be like the lottery. You know, you go, you pick your five numbers or eight numbers or however it works, you know, and you got your eight numbers there, or let's just say 10. You got, I got my 10 numbers, I picked them. And then you're watching the little thing on TV or whatever, and the little golf balls come out with the numbers on them. And you may get one, woo, yes! Like, uh, uh, let's just, I'll, I'll make it a given. We, we all, I'll give you a number six. We all got a number, don't murder. Yes, I got one, I got one. Maybe you got two. Maybe you get three. Some of you may get four or five. You got, I oh, man, I've nailed five of the 10 commandments, yeah. But nobody can say I've never, ever not broken any of them. 
All the Ten Commandments did was show you you're a sinful person so that you would go, oh, I need a Savior. I need a Messiah. Yeah, you do. And because you were made in the very image of God, he promised you one. He promised people, I'm going to send you a Messiah. You see, the Ten Commandments are showing you how evil you are, how wicked you are, but I love you, and I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'll send you one. And 2,000 years ago, in the town of David, a Savior was born. We know him as Jesus. The point of the Ten Commandments was simply to let us know how sinful we were. Now back to verse one of our text. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul is simply an answering really the, the smart aleck that asks, well, if this is true, if, if I'm saved simply by putting my trust in Jesus, if God's love and compassion and grace and forgiveness abound more and more, you know, whenever I sin or live in an evil way, why not just continue to, to live in sin? Because I, I'd really be doing God a favor because my sinfulness would show to the world just how great and awesome God is. In other words, if God's grace is shown every time you and I sin, then let's just go for it. Let's just be super sinful so that God can show how super forgiving he is. Beloved, this seems like a silly question, but it's not because 2,000 years have gone by and there are people out there today who call themselves believers that believe that they can live however they want. They can live in total disobedience to the word of God and it's all good because God will forgive them. There are some churches in our town that will basically teach that, that it doesn't matter how you live, that God's grace will just take care of it. So live however you want. Do whatever you want. Well, Paul answers this question in verse two. Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? By no means. Some of your Bibles say, God forbid, right? Some of your Bibles say, far be the thought. Some say, may it never be. Some say, absolutely not. Some of your Bibles say, no way. I love how the New English version puts it. No, no, no. Paul says, you died to sin. The thought that someone would willingly or blatantly or deliberately sin so that God's grace could be, you know, better displayed was simply outrageous to, to Paul. Why? Why is this so outrageous? Why is this such a silly thought? Well, this is where Paul begins to unpack one of the most profound thoughts in all of Scripture, and it begins with those four little words down there at the Bible, uh, on the bottom of this little list here. Paul says, you died to sin. You died to sin. He says in verse two, by no means, we died to sin. 
So how, how can we live in it any longer? How can we just go about just disobeying the God who justified us? How, how can we do that? How can we be okay just living in a sinful way? We, we died to sin. This is one of the, the great positional truths in all of the Christian life. And a positional truth is this. God is telling us positionally, Christian, you have died to sin. Now, is Paul saying here that when you become a Christian, you never sin? No, not at all, because we all sin, everybody sins. Dr. MacArthur put it this way, he said, this is a reference to the believer's, on, this isn't a reference to the believer's ongoing daily struggle with sin, but it's a reference to a one-time event completed in the past. At the moment you gave your life to Christ, justification happened. But also, at that very moment, you died to sin. And at that same moment, you were made alive in Christ. Let me put it to you this way. You died to one lifestyle, sin, which means you can't live in that lifestyle anymore. And God gave you his Holy Spirit to empower you to live a different life. Think about it. God didn't give his son to die on a cross that you might be free to live a life of sin. Think about that. Dr. Barnhouse, great, great man, said this. Holiness. Holiness starts where justification finishes. And if holiness does not start, we have the right to suspect that justification never started either. That's just a, that's really great. What he's saying there is this, if you truly gave your life to Christ, justification took place, but there isn't sanctification, that's not happening, holy living, a changed life, becoming more and more transformed in the image of Jesus, then we have every right to, you know, suspect that maybe justification never really happened either. In other words, a person can't say, I'm a Christian and there'll be no life change. It's just impossible. If justification happened, then sanctification is going to follow. It has to follow. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this, if anyone is in Christ, if you've given your life to Christ, you, you've become a new creation. The old is gone, the, the sinfulness, how you used to live is gone, the new has come, justification has come. You now have the power of Christ within you. Now we as Christians obviously struggle with sin at times. But the thought that a Christian could somehow live in a habitual state of sin and be okay with it is just simply unbiblical. Just can't happen. The old is gone, the new has come. I, I love what Dr. MacArthur said. It's one of my favorite quotes. It's not our perfection that proves our salvation. It's our reaction to our imperfections. In other words, 
If justification took place, that really happened, and now Christ lives in you, if you don't have some sort of reaction to sin in your life, Dr. Barnhouse is right, then this probably didn't take place. You see, no one's gonna live a perfect life. You can't. This side of glory, it's impossible for us as believers to live a perfect, sinless life. But with that said, if you truly know the Lord, you died to sin, when sin creeps into your life, you're going to have a reaction to it. Listen, here's the deal. If you're able to sin, if you're able to live in willful disobedience to God and have little or no reaction to it, it could be a sign that you really don't know the Lord. It could be a sign that you, know, you really haven't had a true encounter with Jesus Christ, that, that justification never really happened and that you're still dead in your sins. For how could God Almighty be living inside of you and there not be some sort of conflict in your soul when you sin? Here's the deal, I think that there are basically three kinds of people on, on the planet, okay? Number one, people who are saved. People who have been justified. Probably the majority of the people in this room, over in the venue, even watching online or listening on the radio. Everybody in this room, or most people in this room probably are here. You're, you're saved, you've been justified. You had a, 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 a moment that was genuine. You understood your sin and how it goofed you up, you gave your life to Christ. Okay, the second group of people are those that are lost. These are people who haven't been justified. They don't believe in God. For the first, you know, couple decades of my life, I was in this group, I didn't believe in God. I wasn't justified, I was dead in my sins, doomed for hell. It's where I was. It's the third group I'm a little concerned about. People who are lost, but they think they're saved. People who think they've been justified, but they really haven't been. And this is the group that scares me because I think there are a lot of people in this group. I think there's some people right here right now that are in this group. And when this person in this group dies, judgment awaits them. In other words, they're not gonna go to heaven because they haven't been justified. God still sees their sin. Hasn't been dealt with. Let me share with you three quotes from Jesus that, that I want you to ponder here, okay? Here's the first one. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's what it says. That's what Jesus says. Just because somebody says, Lord, Lord, just because somebody came in here and raised their hands and sang kumbaya or put some money in an envelope and, and you know, as a basket went by, just because somebody sang in the choir, 
There's going to be a lot of people who think they were justified who are going to stand before God and God still sees their sin. That's a weighty statement, isn't it? How about this quote? My sheep, Jesus said, listen to my voice. They listen to my voice. And I know who they are. And not only do my sheep listen to my voice, but they follow me. They, they actually do it. They actually, it's one thing to hear the word of God. Listening to the word of God is easy. Anybody can listen to the word of God. Listening to one of Jesus' sermons was easy 2,000 years ago. It doesn't take any effort to listen to God's word. It's hearing it and then saying, okay, God, because you are God and I'm but a human created in your image, I'm gonna do it to the best of my ability. <laughs> That's what's difficult, living it out. Now, based upon these words that you see up here, would you consider yourself one of Jesus' sheep? Do you listen to him? Does he know you? In other words, do you have a relationship with him? Do, do, do you follow him? In other words, do you obey the scriptures? Once again, you may blow it at times, but as a pattern, do you live out the principles found in God's word? How about this quote? If anyone loves me, Jesus said, he will obey my teaching. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. That's what it says. That's what the word of God says. Those aren't my words. A lot of people running around in our culture today talking about how much they love Jesus. That's easy, easy to say, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. He who does not love me will not obey my teachings. Isn't that weighty? Isn't that something to kind of, let's settle into all of our lives, our souls for a moment? I want you to do a little self-evaluation based on these three quotes, would you consider yourself one of God's followers? Or maybe a better question is this, listen to me. Would God consider you one of his followers? Wow, that's a different question, huh? It really doesn't matter what you think. What matters is, based upon the word of God, would he consider me one of his followers? Let me go at it this way. I'll do a little comparison between a true believer and an unbeliever, okay, that might help you get a better handle on which group you're really in. Psalms chapter 19 gives us a taste of the heart of a true believer, okay? Verse nine says, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can a young man live a holy life? How can a young man live a sanctified life or a, an old man or a young woman or an old gal? It doesn't, doesn't matter. How, how does that happen? 
by, by living it according to your word. So we just learned something about the sanctification process. If justification really has happened, then this is gonna become an important tool in the sanctification process. Verse 10, I seek you with all of my heart. Don't let me stray from your commandments. You see the heart of a true believer. Oh man, oh God, don't let me stray from this. Verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And it, that, that's, that doesn't mean that if you just memorize enough scripture, you'll never sin. All he's saying is that when I know what your word says, now I can make the choice to not violate it. That's the heart of a true believer. I want to know what your word says that I may not violate it and live in sin. Verse 12, praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. Do you see the heart of a, of a believer right there? With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. Oh, I, I just love to talk about the word. That's the heart of a believer. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. That's the heart of somebody who truly knows God. I just, I just rejoice in this. Rejoice in it. Verse 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. You see that? You see the heart there? Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Does that, does that sound like you? Just kind of let that rattle around your mind. Is that the heart that you have? Psalms 119 goes on to say this in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. Oh, I love the word. I just love to meditate on it all the time. Is that you? Now, Psalms 119 also gives us a, a taste of what the heart of someone who really doesn't know the Lord is like. He says in verse 155, Salvation is far from the wicked, far from the unbeliever, for they do not seek out your decrees. In other words, they don't want to read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, memorize the Bible. Certainly they don't want to live it out. This doesn't mean anything to them. It's a nice book and... They dust it off every now and then, but they really aren't that interested in living it out. God himself said this through the great prophet Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its paths and you will find rest for your souls. But here's the heart of an unbeliever. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. <laughs> no, no thank you. I don't want to live according to this. Oh, I don't mind coming to church and looking at it. I kind of like the music. Your choir is really good, the quartet, fantastic. 
I'll even throw some money in the basket there. But if you think I'm going to live this thing out, no, nah, not going to happen. Now, nobody says it that bluntly. But that's the heart of an unbeliever. They, they don't really want to know what this is. And even if they do, they're not going to walk in it. They're going to live however they want to live. And the reason why is because they've not died to sin because they've never been justified. You see? Titus chapter 1 says this, For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. Isn't that interesting? You find those kinds of people in every church. Every church. I don't care what the church is. This church. People who claim to know the Lord, they claimed to have had an encounter with Jesus Christ, they claim that they've invited the Lord into their life, and now God sees them just as if they'd never sinned, and yet they just keep living however they want to live. You talk to them about their sin, and they just blow you off, or they just go to another church. And that happens a lot here. This is a church that cares deeply about church discipline. Our, we got a number of our pastors that are in this room. We talk about it all the time. God wants his church to be holy. He wants his bride holy. And part of being a, a member of a church is that the spiritual leaders are there to uh, have conversations with its members, its sheep, about sin. Today, the church in America is anything but holy. And so we go about confronting people in their sin, and here's the easy thing to do in America. I'm done with this church, and they just go somewhere else. And they'll find a church that doesn't care about their sin, that will tolerate their sin. In fact, they'll often get involved in leadership in some of those churches. And we sit around and just go, you got to be kidding me. Because, after all, that church believes in the grace of God. Well, so do we. We do, too. Your actions always give you away. Listen to what Paul said to King Agrippa in chapter, Acts chapter 26. He said, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all of Judea, and to the Gentiles also. I preach that they should repent and turn to God. And here's this last little statement and prove their justification, prove their repentance by their deeds, prove it by living a sanctified, holy life, a life that is transformed more and more into the very image of Jesus. 
That's what it says. Look, we're going to blow it as believers, and I'm going to talk about that here in just a moment. But make no mistake about it, true conversion always brings about change. There's no way that a true follower of Jesus Christ could willfully or blatantly just live in sin. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. This is just really, this is really heavy. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Don't you realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. And that was written to a church. See, Paul was worried that within the, the, the walls of a church there would be people who were in that third group. That, that they thought they'd been justified. They thought they'd been made righteous. They thought that everything was okay between them and God, that their sins had been dealt with. But really, it hadn't happened. And so Paul writes to a group of people that were part of a church, and he says, look, examine yourselves. Test yourselves. You ought to really know whether you're in the faith or not. You realize God lives inside of you. The power of God lives in you. In other words, you'll see a life change. You'll see holy living. You'll see the sanctification process. You'll see your life becoming more and more like Christ. You see? And if you don't see that, if it's okay to just go on sinning, you failed the test. Satan's good at what he does. He's an expert at what he does. He's got his PhD in, in deceiving people. And it's easy for people to come to a church and Hey, I, I, walked a, I walked up at a Billy Graham crusade once. Hey, I came forward at your Christmas program. I didn't mean anything. I prayed a prayer once. So what? If that was indeed genuine, oh God, I'm a sinner. I need you. God. God came into your life. Dr. Barnhouse is right. Some process of holiness is going to start to take place. Has to. And if you don't see that in your life, maybe it wasn't genuine. And maybe today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe. Paul said, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Death to sin is separation from sin's power. Not the, you know, uh, uh, 
extinction of sin. Being dead to sin, sin simply means being set free from it. You now have the power to overcome it. Look ahead to verse 18, real quick, of chapter 6. Paul says, you have been set free from sin. If you truly have given your life to Christ, you've been set free from it. And have become slaves to righteousness. Look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you, uh, you reap leads to holiness. It leads to, to a, a different way of living. So with all this said, look, look back at verse 2 real, real quick. Shall we go on sinning that, we, that grace may increase? By no means. No, no, no. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Obviously, believers can't live in sin if they died to it. I just spent a lot of time explaining why. But here's what I know to be true. I know that there are many of you that love the Lord with all of your heart and you love his word and you, you want to live out the principles found in scriptures and you have a great desire to do God's will in your life. But wow, there's, there's a sin or whatever that just keeps nipping at your heels. You just, you just struggle with it. So how do, how do you break this power? How do you overcome the temptation to sin that bombards your life? How do you make this you know, positional truth We've died to, 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 to sin, a, a reality on this plane. Well, I shared with you a few weeks ago that God left you three things to help you make it in this world. Three things to help you become more and more like Jesus. Three things to help you live a sanctified life. And the first one is he left you his word. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every single word, God left you his word. He left you his Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit of God in there in your life. And I'll tell you what, you take the word of God in conjunction with the Spirit of God, boom, that's a one-two punch. But he also left you his church. He left you his church. And you need all three of them. You need the word, no doubt. You need his power, but you also need the church. If you're struggling with some sin, if there's some sin that, that's basically governing your life, it could be uh, anger or rage, the need to control alcohol, prescription drugs, overeating, post-abortion guilt, pornography, insecurity, fear, anxiety, perfectionism, overspending, gambling, pride, having to be right all the time, lying, compulsive, whatever, cleaning, guilt, shame, overworking, laziness, procrastination, procrastination, and the list goes on and on and on. If one of these things rings a bell, Big Valley Grace, your spiritual family, wants to help you. Yes, you have the Word, and yes, you have the Holy Spirit. But for some of you, this is the moment to say, I've now got to engage my church. You don't have to live in the bondage of 
these and other sins, we've got a great ministry here designed to help you learn to practice these truths, to learn to die to these sins, and that's Celebrate Recovery. Every Tuesday night down here, I'm not kidding, about 500 people jamming this building, and they're singing, and these are people who have been justified Jesus Christ came into their life. God sees them as if they'd never sinned before. And they have a desire to live a holy life, a godly life. They, they want to, you know, whether they eat or drink or whatever they do, do it all to God's glory. But they got this sin and they know it's wrong and they know it's sinful and they know it's not okay to keep looking at porn or keep getting drunk or being angry or whatever it is. And they come down here and they get in groups, guys with guys and girls with girls, and they get into the word of God together and they pray together and they hold each other accountable and they're learning this great truth that they've died to sin. And it might be the place where you now say, hey, I need to get down there. I need to get down there. I've got this area of my life that looks nothing like Jesus. Every time I get angry and chew out my wife or chew out my kids or every time I, you know, drink and get drunk, you know what? That's not holy living. That's not sanctified living. That doesn't look anything like Jesus. And it's not okay. It's not okay. And I read the word and I know I got the Holy Spirit in me, but now it's time to take advantage of the third thing that God left you and that is his church and come down here and say, here I am. And I know I'm saved because I have a reaction to my sin. I have a reaction to my imperfections and it's not okay that I sin and I'm here looking for help. And you could join the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and literally thousands of people who are beginning to learn to live in this state of being dead to sin and alive in Christ. Over in the venue, why don't you stand, everybody in here stand, and let me, uh, let, let, let me pray for everybody. Father, thank you, Lord, for last night. I, I just dug last night, it was so great. I just, man, it was just fantastic, the place was just crazy. Thank you, Lord, for this morning, and I love our quartet, and man, our choir and our orchestra. Lord, thank you for just that neat video from Megan and her honesty. Lord, all of those families we had up here last night and this hour and next hour, it's crazy. Just all the young families in our church, and that was just neat that they're up here taking parenting seriously. And Lord, thank you, God, for the the word that you left us, your holy word, your inspired word, your perfect word. God, if there'd be somebody here who maybe today they recognize, wow, maybe I'm not saved. May they make their way into the altar room to speak with our spiritual leaders, our pastors, elders. God, I'm grateful for your goodness to us. Continue to keep your hand on Big Valley Grace. Continue to keep your hand on all the churches in our town, and there are many of them that preach Christ and Christ crucified, Christ risen, Christ coming again. 
And I pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, live for Christ, okay?